0: Hey guys, Walrus here. Welcome to Berlinology. Before we begin, I'd like to welcome you all not just to the latest, but also to the last episode of this podcast. I know, big news. And I'll come back to it at the end of the episode. But for now, enjoy the show.
1: In Deutschland werden immer mehr Sanktionen gegen Hartz-IV-Empfänger
0: verhängt. If you're not following the German news, it's likely that you're missing out on an essential social debate.
1: Die SPD will Hartz-IV ersetzen.
0: Many politicians are debating the reform of the current welfare system. And most of all, they're calling for the repeal or utter transformation of something called Hartz IV.
2: The Abschaffung der Hartz IV-Sanktion. Wir lassen Hartz IV hinter uns. Hartz IV schützt nicht vor
3: Armut
0: hartz is a part of the welfare system more generally described as unemployment benefits, and it has been under scrutiny ever since its introduction in 2003. I mean, this is the debate we, we have been having for... Years. And the most uh, common arguments against Hart's fear are that there is barely enough to live on. <inaudible> 424 Euro. That people are needlessly sanctioned and cut from their benefits.
4: Have you ever had uh, sanctions? They tried, but I'm, as I said, I'm organized so I get the money back.
0: And that it puts all recipients in the same boat. Like people with kids, young adults, people that worked for decades. But I think one of the most crucial questions around Hart's fear is... Is the current system actually making Germany a better place?
2: Niemanden aber wird künftig gestattet sein, sich zu Lasten der Gemeinschaft
0: When I first started following the debate around Hart's fear, there were many things that did not make sense to me. For example, Germany has an unemployment figure of about five percent, which. To be fair, it's not that bad. However, if you then look at the number of people that are on the Hartz sphere program, you all of a sudden get a much gloomier picture of Germany's economy. About 9% of the people capable of working are on welfare. In Berlin, it's even worse. One in six Berliners that rely on hard sphere. As long as I've lived in Germany, I've always been under the impression that the German economy was doing great. The powerhouse of Europe. However, research for this particular show has put quite a dent in that belief. I mean, is the German Wirtschaft actually doing that well? And what does a booming economy actually mean if such a large percentage of the population can't make ends meet? Today's episode is called How to Fare Well. We're going to trace the origins of the hartz reforms and the impact that they have had on the German economy. Hey guys, while we're here, I'm at Café Sudblock in Kreuzberg. It's a rather large café with um, big concrete rafters. And in the middle of the room, there's a large disco ball hanging from the ceiling. I'm here because I'm meeting with Andreas Walbaum, who is sitting about 15 meters away from me. He is a, a man with a white beard, reading spectacles on his nose, maybe 60, 65 years old. He's wearing a dark attire, white socks in black trainers. I'd say typical Kreuzberg outfit and I've agreed with Andreas that I would keep my distance a little bit because Andreas deals in slightly delicate matters because for the entire day people are coming to see him from all over Berlin to talk about one thing and one thing only. Have you, had you already met uh, Andreas before?
4: Yes, of course, many times, uh, many times.
0: This is Marcos, which is, by the way, not his real name. So, so what do you normally come to come
4: here for? What do you ask, Andreas? The thing is that uh, this guy help people in order to claim their rights that they have in uh, Cosmopolitan Berlin of 2018 or 19 now. Marcos
0: is here to consult Andreas in order to claim his rights to unemployment benefits. He's one of the many people visiting Andreas today and the
4: only one throughout the day that agreed to be interviewed by me. When I finished my studies I couldn't find work immediately, that's why uh, it was, I, I take benefit of this uh, system when I finished my degree, so that was around 2000, end of 2015, 2016.
0: While Marcus was looking for jobs, he applied for the unemployment program, Harts Sphere. Now he hasn't been on benefits since 2015, but has been sort of in and out of jobs ever since.
4: How, how long have you now been on Harts <clears throat> That was uh, that is with uh, with breaks always. Okay, so I was working till beginning of 2018. So I'm now I'm around a year, more, less than a year.
0: Marcus was not the only person to come by and visit Andreas today. I sat at Suit Block for about four hours, and at that time about eight people came in for a consultation. Ne, Dienstags <laughs> bin
1: ich
5: tatsächlich immer hier. I'm always here on Tuesday. That's my consultation day.
0: I'd like to introduce Andreas Walbaum, our mobile consultant.
5: From one o'clock, I take my seat in the corner of the cafe and I'm available for the people who have a number.
0: Andreas plays a central role in our story today. I
5: call number five, number six, so that they know it's their turn.
0: As he has been on the receiving end of unemployment benefits. When
5: I was unemployed, there was no such thing as Hartz 4 yet. And I received what was then called unemployment help
1: war ich auch auf
0: But now he helps people to claim their benefits under the title Hatza Roller which is a wordplay on the benefit program and the fact that Andreas owns a motorized tricycle that he uses to go from one consultation to another. When
5: someone asks me why I do these consultations, I often say that it has a therapeutic effect on me because I'm not necessarily that interested in other people.
0: <laughs> Andreas has a very lively biography, working as a theater builder, being the receptionist in a neurosurgical facility, he worked in hospitality and as a care worker for the German AIDS service. But there were also many times that Andreas was out of a job.
5: Whenever I lost a job, I never worried about my future. I knew I could rely on our social system and I never felt ashamed using the means made available by the state. And that's what I also recommend for the people today, that they should claim these benefits without fear or shame, because you're legally entitled to them.
0: Since 2005, Andreas has been advising people on how to claim unemployment benefits. In 2011, he retired, but he continued to voluntarily advise people on how to walk the tightrope, that is the German welfare state. Okay, let's get some of the basics of heart's fear out of the way. First up, you become unemployed. What are your rights?
1: You're
5: entitled to unemployment benefits one because you contributed into the insurance system. That means when you become unemployed, you get a certain amount of money back from those contributions.
0: Now, first, you don't get hearts straight away. If you have previously worked, say, five or 10 or 20 years, you have a sort of an insurance policy. The first 12 months of your unemployment, you get at least 60% of your former income.
5: You get social benefits on the basis that you're needy. That has nothing to do with whether you have previously worked or made any contributions.
0: If you haven't worked at all, or say your first year of unemployment is up, you get downgraded to what is called Arbeitslosengeld II, unemployment benefits II, also known as Hartz IV, I know, I know, it's complicated, but stick with me.
1: This
5: social transfer is supposed to cover my daily expenses. At the moment, the amount is 424 euros for a single person. On top of that, if my apartment is not too expensive, I also get compensation for my rent.
0: So after your first year of 60% is up, you now have to live of 424 euros per month. You get your rental cost, and you also get your health care covered. The number of people that get hartz Sphere is bigger than the amount of people that are unemployed. Because some people do work, but they make so little money that they're still bedürftig or needy. They use hartz Sphere to top up that income. Aufstocken is what we call
1: that.
5: The social system functions as a top up to your current wages. In fact, I have many people in my consultations that deny that they are on welfare. They say that they're only topping up their income. To me, that indicates that being on welfare is still seen as something very negative. They try to construct an image of themselves that is less dependent. But in theory, you're always topping up. If you have no income, you're simply topping up from zero.
0: Those are some of the basics of unemployment. It's a tough cookie, especially if you haven't found a job yet after your first year of unemployment. But on the other hand, it's also nice that you get something from the state, a right to participate in our society, provided for through a concept of solidarity. These rights are mediated by a very, very, very important institution, the Job Center. The sole
5: purpose of the Job Center is to implement the Hartz IV reforms.
0: And the Job Center does two things. One, it gives you money. And two, it tries to get you back to work.
5: All money-related issues are dealt with by the performance team. And all things work-related are taken care of by the labor mediator.
0: Ever since its invention, the job center has been severely criticized. Something that again and again comes to the foreground when I ask Andreas, what are some of the biggest problems that people actually face when they come to consult him? What are the, also you schon von Hartz IV seit 2005, so long as problems people to eine Beratung Die
1: großen Probleme jetzt im The biggest
5: concern that people have is that they're completely dependent on the mediators of the Job Center.
1: Also diesen Menschen, die beim Job Center arbeiten, ausgeliefert zu sein.
0: An invention of the Hartz IV reforms, the Job Center's reputation precedes itself. Leute haben Angst vorm Job Center.
5: Many people are afraid of the Job Center, even people that have never been there before.
0: The Job Center is the agency responsible for both handing out the welfare checks and at the same time trying to find people work but according to andreas who in his capacity as counselor has been gathering welfare stories for the past 15 years the job center isn't really good at this job and in often people don't necessarily have money related problems they come
5: in for a consultation because the job center is putting pressure on them
0: pressuring them to take a certain job, to do a training course, or threatening to cut their allowance because they didn't show up for an
5: appointment. The experience of those who have been visiting the job center for a while is that the mediators treat you not as if you were claiming your right, but as if you were shamelessly begging for money.
1: Andreas
0: feels it's not okay to deny people this right, that the job center is in fact not there in the service of the people.
1: It's not
5: up to them to evaluate these rights. I mean, many working at the job center doubt whether you have a legitimate right to these benefits or believe their clients are too entitled. They point out that you should be happy getting something or that in other countries things
0: are way worse. Being on welfare, living off 424 euros a month, is no luxury. The job center's reputation as the government's helping hand is rather falling short. But it wasn't always like this. In fact, Germany had one of the most outstanding and generous welfare states in the world. What then brought about this change?
2: müssen dafür sorgen, dass die Arbeitslosigkeit zurückgedrängt wird.
0: Gerhard Schröder, ladies and gentlemen.
2: Das bestehende Arbeitsplätze erhalten bleiben,
0: former Chancellor of Germany,
2: und neue Beschäftigung entsteht.
0: From 1998 till 2005.
2: Der Staat muss zielgenauer here vor allen Dingen muss wirtschaftlicher handeln.
0: He is giving an address to the parliament in 1998, his inauguration speech, in which he speaks about the miserable economic situation his country is in.
2: Der Missbrauch staatlicher Leistungen muss eingedämmt werden.
0: About how people are taking advantage of the welfare state.
2: Subventionen und soziale Leistungen werden wir stärker als bisher den auf die wirklich bedürftigen konzentrieren
0: and how we should focus more on the truly needy in the country. I think it's now 2019, quite hard to imagine that Germany was not the powerhouse economy of Europe. Germany is seen as one of the few stable economies in the Eurozone, went relatively unharmed through the 2008 financial crisis. Germany has huge trading surpluses and is consistently on track for being a zero deficit financial sector. However, when Schroeder made his inauguration speech, Germany's economy was failing. Unemployment was through the roof, there were budget deficits, and nobody really wanted to invest in the German economy. This financial dilemma did not entirely come as a surprise. I mean, in the 1990s, Germany went kind of through a slight reorganization phase.
3: CNN Headline News, I'm Lynn Russell. It's a day many Germans thought they'd never see the unification of East and West.
0: German reunification had kind of a big impact on the economy as well. After
3: 45 years of division, Germany is again one nation.
0: Two countries that had been separated for 40 years basically merged. And these two countries had two entirely different economic systems. Bringing those two together was going to be a big challenge.
2: (laughs) the greatest day from Germany.
0: At first, things were doing all right. The reunification boosted the economy by 5-6%. There was an uh, overall sense of optimism, a belief that together we could make a strong and healthy German economy possible. But this optimism was soon caught up by reality. In an article published on June 3rd, 1999, the Economist called Germany the sick man of the euro, analyzing the heart of the matter to be Germany's inefficient tax regulations, a bloated welfare state, and excessive labor costs. They basically state that Germany's post war social democracy is out of control and Germany can't pay for it anymore. And Herr Schröder agreed.
2: Der Staat muss
0: in 1998, Gerhard Schröder is going to try and get the economy rolling again by heavily cutting into Germany's welfare system. Though four years later, in 2002, it doesn't seem like his reforms have had much effect. Here is Schröder on the 2002 campaign trail, defending himself as he's being asked, you uh, kind of promised to make everything better,
2: but um, you really didn't, did you? That we didn't wir wollten nicht we wanted, Schroeder blames
3: the lack of success to external factors. The story here was that in the early 2000s, after the dot-com bubble burst and uh, then there were the terror attacks of September 11th, and the German economy did not recover very well from that. This is Sebastian Delin, whom
0: I've asked to assist this economically ailing walrus... Delin is professor of international economics at the HDW and director of the Macroeconomic Policy Institute. He puts the crash of the internet bubble in the early 2000s and September 11, 2001, as two of the main reasons why the German economy
3: was still ailing. So we had a st- period of stagnating economic growth and increasing unemployment.
0: And so after his election, and yes, he did get re-elected in
3: 2002. Schröder decided to reform even harder. So the then-Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder, he, he put up uh, a commission to come up with some reform proposals for the German economy. And now we're finally getting to the core of the matter because this
0: commission that Gerhard Schröder put together to tackle the much ailing German economy they will come up with the much debated and quite controversial Hartz
3: reforms. And this is named after Peter Hartz, who was at that time the I think the personal chief of uh, or the, the head of the HR for Volkswagen.
0: Peter Hartz was considered one of the most successful human research managers in Germany, in charge of groundbreaking reforms during his time at Volkswagen and commissioned by Gerhard Schröder to reform the German labor market. Here's uh, Schröder hergen.
2: Und uh, Herr Hartz uh, war erstens jemand, der in seiner Tätigkeit bei Volkswagen als Arbeitsdirektor mit ganz innovativen Arbeitszeitmodellen 5000 mal 5000, zur Vermeidung von Entlassungen, die vier Tage Woche bewiesen hat, dass ein ungeheuren Sachverstand uh, aufweist.
0: Schröder here casually praising Peter Hartz, the man that five years later would be convicted to a two year prison sentence for embezzlement of corporate funds. Anyway, let's not get distracted here and continue with the ramifications of the reforms. The Hartz Commission was only part of a bigger reform plan. And they were uh, titled Agenda 2010. So, agenda 2010. This included major reforms to the pension system and healthcare system. And the idea was, until 2010, we should be competitive again. The idea is, if Germany becomes more competitive, people might want to invest in Germany again, and one of the biggest issues facing the German economy, namely long-term unemployment,
3: would disappear as snow in front of the sun. He presented that on one day in the German Bundestag, and some elements of that list were um, the Hartz reforms.
0: And I'd like to share with you this day, March 14th, 2003. A dramatic moment for the welfare state in Germany because Gerhard Schröder proposed the largest cut to the social welfare state since the end of World War II. And I think it's important for a moment to reflect on what is actually proposed here. A directive for a more prosperous, more economically healthy society. More specifically, there is a resonating mantra that I'm sure that every German has heard of. First, here is Schröder encouraging unemployed people to take on jobs.
2: Deswegen werden wir eine bestimmte Zeit langzeitarbeitslosen, die eine Beschäftigung aufnehmen, deutlich mehr als die bisherigen 15 percent der Transfers belassen.
0: Here he's talking about allowing people to keep more of their social welfare if they accept a job.
2: The other
0: bit is about demanding of people to contribute to society. This one I'd like to translate for you more directly.
2: wird künftig gestattet sein, sich zu Lasten der Gemeinschaft zurückzulehnen.
0: Nobody so Gerhard Schröder, will be allowed to lean back and become a burden to society.
2: Those
0: who reject decent work opportunities, ladies and
2: gentlemen. We'll have
0: to reckon with sanctions. <laughs> förderen und fordern. Encourage and demand. It will be Schroeder's central motto at the heart of his reforms. How, how was this then received? Was there, yes, we're going to do something for the economy, where people like, this is outrageous. What was basically the whole mood around this?
3: I mean, you have to see that it was the Social Democrats who passed these things. And they passed it without having run in an election before that with these ideas.
0: And it's important to stand still for a moment at the fact that it was the Social Democrats of all parties, not the more right-leaning CDU or FDP, that introduced these reforms. And in general, you can understand that German population was not too excited with having their Social
3: Security cut. So uh, it was not perceived very well by the voters of the Social Democrats, and you see that in, in the elections. The Social Democrats have been ever shrinking since these reforms,
0: Schroeder eventually lost the elections in 2005 to no other than Angela Merkel. But even now, almost 15 years on, the SPD is currently polling
3: at an all-time low of only 12%. They have not recovered from that yet because especially people who have been traditional voters for the Social Democrats have not been very happy with, with the hard sphere because they feel um, that their protection has been lowered and they, 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 they are very unhappy about that.
0: I think, however, that it would be too simple to just hold Gerhard Schröder responsible for the harsh cuts in the welfare state. It was the SPD together with the Green Party who introduced the reforms, but in fact almost nobody objected against them either. The bill got support from the Christian Democrats, the Christian Social Union, and the Free Democratic Party, almost the entire opposition. The only ones really putting up a fight against the reforms were the unions and a small group of Social Democrats, members of Gerhard Schröder's own party. In fact, one of these opponents of a rather small group of social democrats was no other than Andrea Nahles, the current leader of the SPD. Well, she was the current leader while I was finishing up for the show, but she at the moment has stepped down. There is uh, no current leader of the SPD. Two months after Schroeders speech in 2003, The Guardian wrote the following.
5: It would be ironic indeed if Mr. Schroeder were to succeed finally in getting his followers to swallow unpalatable neoliberal remedies, just as many economists were having second thoughts about their effectiveness.
0: But Schroeder did manage to convince his peers, Hartz did become a proper law and formally implemented in 2005. So now let us turn to the question, what happened to Germany after the reforms? Did a regime of cutting welfare actually make Germany more competitive? And did it bring down long-term unemployment? How is the German economy standing after Hartz fear? Here's Sebastian Duhlin again, director of the Macroeconomic
3: Policy Institute. I mean, unemployment figures have come down significantly.
0: Unemployment figures are down significantly since 2005. When the Hartz reforms were introduced, unemployment soared in Germany to almost 12%.
3: Today... 14 years later, we're down to little over 5%. I think the disputed is, issue is first, um, has that been mainly due to the Hartz reforms?
0: No one questions the fact that unemployment has gone down. Many, however, doubt whether
3: Hartz alone, or maybe even at all, is responsible for this achievement. Has there been some other reasons behind it. I mean, um, in 2001, China wasn't important in the world economy. The economy was in in, in dire condition, not just in Germany, but also in the rest of the world. With China's economy booming, demand for German
0: products grew, and China is now one of Germany's largest export sectors. All this,
3: of course, has, has created new jobs and has brought down unemployment.
0: Then there's those that said that Germany's economy had already hit rock bottom and was going to climb out of it anyway. And then there's those who question the statistics themselves, saying you shouldn't compare 2005 with today, but rather with reunification in 1991, when unemployment was around 6 or 7%. But let's for a moment consider the logic behind Hart's fear, because I've been trying to wrap my head around one particular aspect of the reforms. Was there in 2005 an idea that cutting people down to an existence minimum will bring people back to work.
3: Is that just something that we intuitively feel, or is this something that we actually have proof for? I mean, the economists at that point, they were saying, yeah, well, if you put more pressure on them, they will look more for a job and they will find a job more quickly. So I think most economists had been arguing about uh, through that channel. But is this something that that we have
0: proof or evidence for that this is actually how people find more work?
3: Um, I mean, we do know that people, if you don't have any unemployment benefits, they look harder for a job than if they have some unemployment benefits.
0: Okay, so there does seem to be some logic behind cutting people's benefits down to an existence
3: minimum. However... How much of that is really sensible? I mean, if you have an engineer and you don't have any unemployment benefits and he because he has to work and has to survive, uh, starts driving a taxi the second day of his unemployment, that's probably not efficient for the economy as a whole, because you should, you should have a good match also with the qualifications and not uh, destroy human capital basically by, by doing these things.
0: And then there is the general question of how much work there actually
3: is at any given moment. And some people would say, well, I mean, there's the question of aggregate demand. And if that's not sufficient, you can push the people as much as you want, but they won't find a job. and Or if they find a job, someone else will lose the job.
0: hart'sphere was created in order to demand from people to get a new job as quickly as possible. However, it seems to be really difficult to actually prove that the implementation of fear and falling unemployment are really related. They do coincide, no question about it, but... What the mechanics behind this relation actually look like seems to be something that very few economists actually agree on. Getting people back to work was one of the main goals of Hart's fear, but let's focus for a second on the many people that did find work in the age of Agenda 2010. They were not necessarily a whole lot better off. We're going to have a closer look at the precarious labor market that Germany is so proud of today, because in order to make Germany more competitive, Schroeder's reforms did not only cut welfare benefits, they also transformed the conditions, the normal labor conditions, under which many people were already employed.
3: Well, some people at that point thought that wage costs in Germany were excessive and that they needed to be brought down.
0: Now, Schroeder's idea was that if your country becomes more competitive, you're likely to attract new investments, which of course in turn creates new jobs. And how does a country become more competitive? Well, one of the things you can do is you can make hiring new employees as a company very, very cheap.
3: And one way, of course, is bringing down the cost for social insurance and social security. As a government,
0: you could just lower the pay-in for pensions and health insurance or, for example, make
3: it easier to hire and fire people. If you bring those costs down, that means labor costs fall and you get more competitive in, in global markets.
0: Already in 1999, The Economist wrote that labor costs are too high in Germany, that it was too expensive to hire somebody. And so, Schroeder decided to cut, 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 in the hope that companies would be incentivized to hire again. The cheaper the labor, the more people they would hire. The more people would have a job. One of the problems with that, of course, is that today's booming German economy has one of the largest low-wage sectors in Europe. Not only low-wage, but also very precarious with no proper insurances, flexible contracts, no seats on the workers' council, and often even hard
3: sphere to top up these wages. So that means part of these people who have moved from unemployment to employment, they are now in this kind of marginal employment.
0: So when we talk about the big decline in unemployment over the last decade or so, it's absolutely true. Many people have found jobs, but let's have a look at what it means to be employed exactly.
3: What I mean, you need to know someone is unemployed, if that person has not worked and if that person is actively looking for a job. But that means that if you have a marginal employment of let's say 10 hours a week, um, earning what maybe 400 euros a month, then you are not counted unemployed, even if you would like to work more. Thus, being employed does not imply that you are all of a sudden doing great. And you pay so little into the pension insurance that in old age you will still rely on, on welfare payments.
0: The newspaper Die Zeit already mentioned in 2004, in an article called The Myth of Dissent, that the state of the German economy depends on how you look at the statistics. They mention, for example, that labor costs in Germany might be higher than, say, in Poland, that it is way cheaper to hire somebody from there, but that German productivity is also way higher, allowing for much higher profits per hired German employee. As a non-economist, I find it extremely hard to get a grasp on the effectiveness of economic policies such as hartz fear. I mean, some economists say it definitely works, you just have to look at the statistics to see that hartz fear has done its job. But other people, they doubt whether statistics give you the full picture, or that it greatly depends on how you actually read them. However, it's also not all just in the statistics. Much of the debate around Hartz Fee also stems from our view on how we operate as people, like what motivates and inspires us to contribute to the society we live in. Take for example the reforms of Hartz Fee. They're introduced in the understanding that many people at the lower tiers of our income distribution can only be motivated if we cut them down to an existence minimum. Only then, this police will tell us, will they feel encouraged enough to make their contribution to society? When you talk with people that are on welfare or working in the welfare sector, you hear one thing coming back constantly, and that is that they feel that they are not being trusted to make the right decisions. Many people already have a sense of shame on having to rely on benefits, but on top of that you're not even trusted to do your utmost best to get yourself out of that situation. Here's Marcos again, the recipient of welfare that I spoke in the beginning of the episode. You, you said already one of the objectives that they have is they squeeze you down, right, to a certain minimum ex- existence minimum, and the idea is that that will force you, that will push you to strive for uh, finding work quicker. Do you do you think it works that way? Do you think
4: that is a, a good approach? I don't think it works that way, and I don't think that. Um, I think that. There is a relation of of non-trust.
0: Now, if I if I were to ask you, what do you need, like you personally? What would you need to sort of succeed and participate in Berlin, in Germany? Um, what is it that you would want? What kind of a change uh, would you have in the current
4: system? What I need is understanding that I don't want to be unemployed. This is the thing, okay, that I have have always, I'm in a position always to try to persuade them that I don't want to be here. I don't want to, I want to be, I want to work. So,
0: Marcos doesn't want to be on benefits, but German society thinks that he does, or that he might. And in order for Marcos not to get too comfortable, the job center is instructed to make his life very difficult.
4: If I always have this point that I have to persuade them that I don't want to be here, I don't want to visit you. I want just want. I don't want also your money. I want my own money, and I want since the system now. And in 2009, the situation is very very difficult for many people. Okay, and much more difficult for people that are not German citizens or German speaking, hundred percent. Okay. Since I'm here and you don't want me out, then help me to find something so that I'm off you, off your back, as soon as possible. And you don't spend money for me, you spend money for something else. This isn't what I want, okay?
0: Even though many politicians might disagree on what motivates people, few, however, would disagree that the current system is in need for a change. Coming up, ideas for change. So, we've learned that the Hartz reforms were introduced to make Germany more competitive, and at the same time trying to tackle the incredible unemployment rate. We've learned that Germany, since the reforms, has become more competitive and unemployment has gone down significantly. The question that remains... Has that been mainly due to the Hartz Reforms? Are falling unemployment and the introduction of the Hartz Reforms actually related? And even if they are connected?
3: Is this sensible to bring it down in that way?
0: We also established that unemployment figures are down, but many millions of people live way more rocky lives than they used to. They are part of the precarious class, working in flexible jobs, getting paid lower wages
3: and often have to do part-time or temp work heart of these people who have moved from unemployment to employment. They are now in this kind of marginal employment. So what can we do to make life a little less hard for people on benefits? Let's start with something that has stirred a lot of debate and is up for a change. Sanctions. I mean the point is hard sphere is for the unemployed. That means you need to be able and willing to work and in order to check whether you're willing um, you have to. They 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 can impose sanctions. So in principle, you are um, there's someone in the job center who is, is looking after you and who's supposed to help you to find a job. And you have to go there and uh, well talk to them from time to time. They can invite you that you have to come and and discuss with them what you have done to find a job. And the sanctions are there for people who fail to do what whatever there is they ask. I mean most of the sanctions are actually uh, handed out because people fail to show up for their appointments.
4: Have you ever had uh, sanctions? They tried but I'm, as I said, I'm organized so I get the money back. Of course I had. Uh, they tried They tried to, to to get money from everything, not to give you money from, from the singles. Detail. So, you get sanctioned
0: if you don't comply to the rules of the job center. And that means that your already basic level of existence can be cut down even further. Now there is uh, statistics out there that say that only 3% are being cut on their welfare, 3% of the welfare recipients. Some by little, some people actually entirely. But it still amounts to about 120,000 people that are cut further than the basic level.
4: Why, why did they sanction you? They tried to sanction me because I was ill, and although I had sent them uh, a copy of my um, thing from the doctor, they claimed that they didn't have it. Okay, so I got again to the doctor, and I went personally there and said, "Look, it's the time." So generally, you have to you have to send three or four times the same papers to get the money. Okay,
0: many people are getting cut on their benefits, and many of them are cut unfairly. In 2018, about a third of the people objecting against their sanctions got their allowance, or at least part of their allowance, back. Just imagine all the money and time going in there, the judicial system, the paperwork, the efforts and energy of these people to claim it back. Why, all of it could be spent on a more generous welfare system. But Professor Delin believes there's other reasons to keep the sanctions in place.
3: I think we need to differentiate a bit here. I mean, there are a lot of people who are under Hartz IV and who would like to, to work and uh, they, they probably should be helped more and sanctioned less. But we also have some people, um, especially young people, directly out of school um, and whenever you, you, you deal with teenagers, you might know what that is, who, who really, uh, if they fall under Hartz four they sometimes, they don't make an effort. And they arrange themselves with this low income and they don't do education and whatever and i think in these cases it is uh, also sensible to um, at least to have the possibilities to sanction them
0: and another issue of course is about actual fraud of the system people
3: willfully taking advantage of the system uh, plus then we have of course i mean this is a bit of uh, we don't talk much about it but we have a small share of uh, fraud in this system. And we know of some cases where there has been really organized fraud of uh, people coming from other EU countries, mostly Bulgaria and Romania, coming to Germany. They were registered here. They were sometimes employed by fraudulent companies who, in a conglomerate, also rented them rooms at excessive prices, and supposedly they work for a few hours a week. And uh, but they claim the, the wealth, both the rent and the welfare and then they share it between this fraudulent company and the person who has registered there. And this is of course not at all what hart's fear was intended for. In these cases it's also sensible to have the possibilities of sanction because you can ask them to come here and uh, well if they are in Bulgaria they won't make it and then you don't pay or you cut the 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 welfare
0: the sanction system would not only be in place to stop fraud from happening but also about giving citizens the belief that the welfare system is a
3: fair system that it works these cases they undermine the legitimacy of the system so if you if if normal people pay their taxes and they see that these things are happening they are less willing to pay for the well the 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 system as a whole even if it's if it's a good system and therefore one needs to to really look hard into these um black sheeps among among um, the people who receive and therefore we need some of the sanctions
0: andreas walbaum however the hard sphere consultant does not believe in the sanctions i
5: really believe that the federal republic is exercising more pressure than it should
0: it's not just about getting sanctioned It's the constant pressure all of the recipients feel of falling even further than they have already. I think it's really shameful that
5: people on benefits are being threatened with sanctions, and I believe it would be good to have a look at how we can change the current system.
0: There is organisations like Sanctionsfrei, for example, that means sanction-free, that have stirred the debate up even further by introducing a crowdfunding campaign and compensating people that have lost part or their entire benefits check. At the same time many politicians are calling for cutting the sanctions entirely. I was at a meeting at the German Green Party where one of the politicians suggested that maybe we should just accept as a society that there is a minimum provided for by the state and if we agree that it's okay to bring people down to this already incredibly low level we should enforce that people can fall below that then there is of course the problem of uniformity of the reforms the problem that everybody gets treated exactly
3: the same well i think it, it is first a very good idea to be more lenient with the the savings someone has when that person falls into Hartz four
0: if you are say 55 years of age and you get fired uh, you first get a year of unemployment insurance, which ends up being around 60% of your former income. After that, you fall back on the
3: basics of hard sphere. First, it's okay because he gets the normal unemployment benefits, but then the person in the late 50s doesn't find a new job. And then the person has to spend all the savings. Um, and that's a, I mean, you know, that's a person who has contributed to society for a very long time productively.
0: Now, I understand it feels a bit weird that somebody that still has, say, 50K on their bank account would still get benefits every month. But on the other hand, what if this person was just very careful with their money, saved sparesomely over the past 30 years? And is now being punished for it in comparison to somebody
3: who did not do that. So I think you, we, we should be much more generous there and uh, especially what is very tedious, if you now apply for Hearts 4, you have to uh, to make a list with all your assets, including your, your jewelry and your, your old car and um, maybe your TV and so on. Of course, your house and, and car uh, is, is still okay, but it, it goes much further than that. And then they check whether this is above a certain threshold and ask you to maybe sell things first before you before you before you can can get Hartz Sphere.
0: Then there's the problem with incentive to work. For example, many people are employed, but they still receive Hartz Sphere.
3: Um, because Hartz Sphere is not just for the unemployed, but hard Sphere is for all those who are not able who are able to work but not able to make ends meet.
0: Remember all of those shitty jobs that were created with no security and lousy pay? Well, these people are
3: still not out of the danger zone and still need to draw benefits to top up their pay. So that means if you are on a marginal employment, like 400 euros a month, you get uh, that topped up up to a point where you can can survive. And so basically... um, what they do is they take into account part of your earnings. You can keep part of that and the rest is take, well, your hard sphere is reduced by, by, by that amount. And remember, if you work one single hour in a week, you are not counted unemployed, but you get still the, the welfare payments.
0: There's also something seriously wrong with trying to get out of that situation. As everything you earn gets either cut on your heart's fear allowance or immediately taxed away. Sometimes it can be taxed more than what you would initially make on just heart sphere alone. That's of course
3: absolutely ridiculous. If your income increases in certain areas, and this is usually low, low, low income areas, then even if you earn more, you don't get don't have more to spend later on. And that is a disincentive for work and that hits especially hard single mothers, um, because they they always have the conflict anyway to spend either the time with their children or to to, to work more and so they might not have an incentive to increase their working hours and so there are some people saying we we should reform this this system here and pull it together.
0: And of course with almost any government program there's bound to be some senseless bureaucracy. I mean take for example the wealth check to see how much money somebody has. Everybody has to go through all their stuff and make an estimate how much it costs. It's incredibly time-consuming, especially if you realize that only a fraction of the Sphere recipients would actually own too much to get welfare.
3: I mean, one idea would be, you say, there's a certain threshold for, in, for, for wealth, and you have to to state that you are below that, then you get Fear, And if it's data found out that you're above that, then they just... I mean, then, then you have the, the wealth and you can repay whatever they have given you.
0: Another bit of senseless bureaucracy was discovered by the Süddeutsche, a German newspaper, They found out that the job centers in germany spent more than 60 million euros trying to get back a sum of 18 million euros that they had overpaid to their welfare recipients that is 42 million euros thrown away trying to get tiny sums of money back we're talking about amounts that were under 50 bucks now i get that the government wants to prove that it's fair and meticulous when it comes to handing out welfare but Maybe that energy, that meticulousness, could be used for something more sensible. I mean, is it really beneficial to Germany society to have thousands of court cases every year to uphold sanctions, or to spend 42 million euros, literally hunting poor people down for some change?
3: I mean, pe- people on the hard sphere they really feel, uh, in a way, tortured by by these requirements, and I think this is something which uh, there, there's which we should lower because that that that's. It doesn't really serve a purpose. It makes people unhappy, but there's no benefit from it.
0: But I think we should focus on a more serious change, and that is a change in mentality. These little tweaks that I mentioned before, you can see how they would, well, not be that hard to fix. You shift some limits here and there, and voila, needless bureaucracy avoided. I think it's way harder to think about how to actually get people back to work, or maybe even beyond just the concept of a job How do we ensure that people feel that they can contribute something meaningful to society? So far, with Gerhard Schröder's reforms, we've just been trying to cut people's welfare checks, forcing them into ill-fitting jobs, and lowering people's work and old-age securities. And I feel that no other place describes
3: these questionable remedies as well as the job center itself. What I think is empirically quite obvious is that many job centers are not very good at finding a job for people. So, uh,
0: Why
3: is this? I mean, most people who are have a qualification, they know best what they what they know how to do. And so they find their job, well, find, find, find easily a job. And I frankly, I don't know, I think it, it might have to do that there's uh, too much time for the people to who work there to really look into the cases and to try to find some, some, some job for, for, for there clients as they are called Um, but I'm I'm not sure frankly I'm I'm not an expert for the internal workings of the job centers.
4: They go always by the book and they're not clever to see okay that if I help this guy or i help this uh, this woman okay overcoming her situation then I get money back actually it's not that okay they have some references as some standards they apply all the standards with the, the same Rage, I would say, sometimes, okay? And this is actually not working, okay?
0: It's the uniformity that doesn't help. The
4: one-size-fits-all approach. They are very uh, money-concentrated, okay? If you have uh, some needs and you have to, to find, to do some things, okay? It's very, very, very difficult.
0: Remember that the job center has this double role, right? It is there to give you your benefits, and at the same time, they should help you find a job. Some people argue that this double role doesn't work. The people working at the job center, they're much too focused on the money aspect, trying to squeeze the money wherever they can, and that it would be way better to split those two functions up. But in fairness, I think it's even bigger than that. Andreas Valbaum, our consultant, words it quite strongly. Ist da viel Streit zwischen Jobcenter und die Leute, die da hinfahren? Weil ich habe immer die Idee, Jobcenter-Theorie sollte die Leute helfen, so schnell wie möglich wieder eine Arbeit zu haben oder auf jeden Fall einfach die die Leistung zu bekommen.
5: Es ist eine interessante Theorie. That is an interesting theory. I don't think the job centre is there to help people, maybe in individual
0: cases.
5: There's always some cases where a case worker tries to actually help someone.
0: Andreas too stresses it's not necessarily the individual job centre employees that are at fault here.
5: Within the organisational structure, helping the individual is not the main mission for the job centre
1: nicht nicht
5: Well it's a good question. I don't know exactly. I just know from labor mediators that they are under pressure to put pressure on the welfare recipients. They're not always there to help people, but first and foremost to save on active and passive services. Sondern it's in erster Linie darum, active and passive leistungen
1: einzusparen.
0: According to Andreas, the job centers are an institution that has to be careful with its resources. And so tries to save on the amount of consultations they do, but also on the actual money they give out. eh? Hence the sanctions. This whole idea, it goes way beyond just legislation. The harsh fear reforms are drenched from falsehoods, clichés and basically super pessimistic views on how we humans tick. Wie wie ist du, dass Leute von Anfang faul sind oder dass die eigentlich trotzdem ans teilnehmen wollen? hast du da eine bestimmte Idee darüber? Ich I
5: think people are very different. Some want to do more than others. Then you have people that just want to be left alone, maybe do something that they see as important, but isn't recognized as such by others. So this picture, foul and not foul, uh lazy or not lazy, I think that many people will do something but maybe not something that everybody will consider valuable
1: ich halte es ja auch vielleicht nicht für sinnvoll was irgendein vorstandsvorsitzender tut
5: then again I might not consider the work of a chairman of the board valuable he'll do it anyway in fact it's very likely he gets paid very handsomely for it and so I don't believe we're really approaching this discussion fairly
1: uh, da wird ja mit unterschiedlichen Maßen gemessen.
0: To come back to our central question, have the reforms from 2003 made Germany a better place? I think it's worth mentioning that there were many problems that Hartz addressed. Students, for example, were worse off before the reforms and so were Selbstständigen, freelancers. They are now somewhat better included in the new benefit system. Another thing is that before the reforms, some people that were on welfare could actually make more money than a nurse would make full time. For other people, certain work became more accessible, as certificates and Meisterwerken were scrapped. But maybe after 14 years it might be time to have a look again at what hartz fear actually is. What effects it had on the economy and what the reforms actually say about our society, because I'm not so sure that it, in fact, did make Germany a better place. Um, do we? Do you think that the current debate around heart sphere, like what, what does it tell us? What the state that Germany is in right now? Do you think we're doing quite well economically? Uh, do you think we're doing quite well in terms of like how we, how we, like in terms of solidarity? Maybe. But what, what, what does it tell us that we
3: have such a big debate around this right now? I mean, actually, this debate has never gone away. I mean, this is a debate we, we have been having for 14 years. Um, and it has led to the success of the Linkspartei as a pan-German party and not just an Eastern German phenomenon. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it has uh, it has changed. What has changed is that first, the Social Democrats, I think, are now more willing to, to change some elements of the system. Um, and second... Of course, the, the, the public finances are in decent order, so we have the feeling one, one can be a bit more generous here. Germany's economy is thriving,
0: at least if we believe what Der Spiegel wrote in one of their latest issues with big headlines like the fat years are over. It reads that we have only seen growth over the past decade. Never did we export so much. Never were so few people unemployed. Wages have risen for everybody. The state has drowned in its income taxes. I read this copy of Der Spiegel while finishing the episode and I must say it was a bit like reading something from another country. I mean, is this really the same Germany that we're talking about? Is the economy really that booming and if it is, who's really profiting here? The German welfare state is 70 years old and it operates from the moral principle that nobody has to hit rock bottom but it also runs on the economic principle that in fact society prospers if one takes care of its citizens.
3: If people starve, of course, they they will not be productive. They cannot contribute to society. And uh, also if you have people who are living in in dire poverty, uh, ...there probably will be more crime and the quality of life will be worse also for the others who who have more.
0: But maybe we do need to step it up a notch, change it more rigorously... ...and ask what kind of social contract do we wish to offer our citizens? Do we, for example, want a universal basic income that gives everybody a fixed and unconditional sum of money? Or do we prefer a solidaric basic income, as the mayor of Berlin has just proposed basically guaranteeing jobs against minimum wage for everyone. There are many different solutions to an increasing sense of insecurity, but to address the issues is first and foremost to address the question of solidarity.
1: I
5: think that the question within the current system is whether we can afford it to just let certain things go sometimes.
0: I'd like to leave you with a statement from Gerhard Schröder, the chancellor that introduced the Hartz reforms, This is what he said in the same parliamentary speech where he introduced the Hartz-Fee reforms in
2: 2003.
0: The protection against termination, ladies and gentlemen, that belongs to the essence of our social market economy is not only a social. It is also an economic and cultural achievement.
2: Unser Land
0: Our country has not become strong through the laws of the jungle or through careless hire and fire,
2: sondern unser Land ist stark geworden durch selbstbewusste Arbeitnehmer, deren Motivation eben nicht Angst ist, sondern der Wille Gemeinsam with tüchtigen etwas zu leisten.
0: But our country has become strong through self confident workers, whose motivation does not stem from fear, but from the will to achieve something together with capable companies. And I have to say, I wholeheartedly agree here with Gerhard Schröder that the country relies on secure and self confident citizens. If only Mr. Schröder would have actually believed it himself. Ladies and gentlemen, this was the last episode of this podcast. I, of course, really hope that you enjoyed this episode, but in a more broader sense, I really hope that you enjoyed the podcast itself, the format, the walrus, the shenanigans, and the more serious reports. It has been an incredible run Uh, for those who were here at the very early start with Walrus and the Bear, all throughout our adventure with the boys from 4,000 Hertz, the contributions of Izzy the Otter, and all those other wonderful people that have been so kind to be taken on a journey by me. Those who are regular listeners, first, thank you so much for sticking with the show for the past four years. I hope I brought a tiny bit of Berlin Entertainment to your lives. I also think that you might have noticed that the subjects that I've been covering so far, or maybe even the last couple of years, maybe last year or so, they've become ever broader not just strictly about Berlin anymore. And I think if I want to keep developing as a podcast or as a journalist, I need to keep experimenting a bit with other formats and topics. So that's what I'll be doing in the next, uh, well, the near future, I'd say. I'm going to take some time to write and research a whole bunch of new concepts that are in my head right now, but that I would really like to create with someone at some point in some place. If you have been listening and think that your platform needs a bit more walrus in their lives, I'd love to be able to contribute in some way, use some of the skills that I've gathered in the past four years. And as always, you can find my contact details on Berlinology.org. This show is not complete without thanking Andreas Walbaum, Sebastian Delien, Marcos, Martin Lange, Christina Strom, Nadja Petranovskaya. Editorial help came from Georgia Ryungu, Darren O'Byrne, and Ben van Gelder. If you're on HeartSphere and you need advice, don't forget to check the website of the Amazing Hartser Roller. I'll put a link in the description of the show. The epic sounds for the podcast, as always, come from Mark Schilders, Denis Wouters, and Svetnik. If you're interested in learning more about hartz Sphere and the German welfare state, all the articles and books that I've read are neatly gathered on the Berlinology website. Berliners, Germans, citizens of the world, I thank you for listening, and hopefully we'll meet again at some unknown future audio project. For now, Walrus out.